Okay, uh, let's go ahead and find Matthew chapter number 10. Brother Torres is a man of God, I can tell you that. He's uh, got the hand of God all over him. You know, I often think that, uh, while you're turning there, I often think that um, for all those years that Jesus did not uh, publicly present himself as the Messiah, there's no doubt that he was attending the synagogue on a weekly basis and uh, sitting there as an attendee in his local synagogue. And what would have happened many, many weeks over years is that other people would have got up, opened up a scroll, read from the Word of God, and then given a message about it, and Jesus would have been just sitting there. Now, I realize they didn't realize who he was. But, you know, I often think when I get the opportunity to stand in a place like this, that God looks down at people who are listening, and God knows who's there. I look at a man like Brother Torres, and I realize I'm here. Brother Torres is, is up here. I mean, that, that's how I view him. I, I view him like that. And there are others of you here that way. I think of you that way. And uh, you say, well, why are you here? Well, I didn't pick me. He did. So you have to blame him. But uh, I look at it that way. But you do what you have to do. But it's an honor to be here. And but that, that military thing was good. That, that touched my heart. And even the offering, you know, like that. I think their dad would be pleased with that. And that's good, you know. If I was their dad, I'd be pleased to see that. And I'd think, you know, Pastor Fisher hasn't forgotten me. And he hasn't forgotten my kids. And the church hasn't forgotten. And here were some men of God, many who didn't even know me. But they love my family. And I think he'd be pleased with that. And the reason you do that, I know, is because your heart is tender to God. That's why you do most of what you do. Because God touches you, you do. Uh, But I just think God would have been well pleased with that. And it was uh, encouraging. Matthew chapter number 10, and also if you want to pick up on Acts chapter 16, uh, this is kind of just a little teaching session and You know, if you're a preacher, you've had times where God gave you a message and you knew you were going to preach it. And you may have thought this, and I know I thought this many times when I was pastoring. I think, I have to preach on this thing. And this is going to be good for about 98% of my people. But there's 2% here who are going to grab hold of this and think about it the wrong way. And it's going to put fuel on their fire, which is not what I want to do. But there's nothing I can do about that, you know. I'm going to give it anyway, even if that 2% is not going to quite, uh, it may not be helpful to them, or it may help them in the wrong way. They may think it endorses what they're doing when it doesn't endorse what they're doing. And I hope you'll take this message in balance. I, I enjoyed what Brother Davidson said. I think that was a needful message. The only thing I wish is that there were more younger preachers saying what he just said. You know, what he said should not be generational. It should not be, well, we would expect that from his generation. But now there's a younger group coming through and they have a different way of thinking. And you know the problem with that? It's true. 
there is younger ones and they have a different way of thinking. And they're more enamored with other things. And they're listening to other voices. And it would be good to have some younger men standing up and saying in the pulpits what Brother Davidson said here this morning. We need to have that said. Our history as fundamentalists in this country and abroad is that we seem to have a diminishing influence. I don't say that to detract from who we are. I think I think I'd rather be here than anywhere. I think we have the right doctrine. I think we have the right emphasis. You know, we believe in reaching souls. We have some standards. And I think this is just the best place to be. And I wasn't, as it were, born into this movement. But I came here and paid a price. And I'm glad to be here. But the history of our movement is we have a diminishing influence. And let me tell you this. If we have a generation comes that moves away from those things that Brother Davison was teaching, our influence will further, further diminish. Now, they'll believe they're doing it to increase our influence. They'll, they'll, they'll use words like innovation. And they'll believe that what they're doing, they'll be sincere, but they'll be sincerely wrong. So we need younger people. And you say, well, how do we do that? Well, some of the older people are going to have to train some of the younger people. And they're going to have to reinforce some of these things. Matthew chapter 10, let's read verse 18 to 20. Jesus is talking, And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. That's an interesting statement. (laughs) He didn't say you're going to be brought before kings and governors to testify to them or to witness to them. So you can be a witness to them. So you can be a testimony. He actually said you'll be brought before them so you can testify against them. It'll be unto their judgment that you are brought before them. They'll think they're judging you, but actually it'll be God judging them by bringing you before them. Interesting. And then uh, verse number 19, having said that, he said, but when they deliver you up, now just imagine you're listening to this and you're one of the people he's addressing. When they deliver you up, take no thought how... Or what you shall speak. For it shall be given you, when? In that same hour, what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. So Jesus is saying a big thing is going to happen to you, or some of you. You're going to be brought up before kings and governors. And I know you don't have a king here in America, but let me tell you, you know, I work in a country where they have a king that they highly esteem. Now, you say to Thais, what's the best thing about Thailand? And they say the king. And there's images and pictures of the king everywhere. And to the common people, the king is just, you know, the king grants an audience to some people. Usually those people are high or elite people in society. He grants an audience. So, so, you know, to these folks, the thought of being called up before a king or a governor, these common folks, fishermen and the like, to be brought up into those places where their shadow had never passed before. And to go in there was very intimidating. And then Jesus says this. He said, this is going to happen to some of you. He said this, but, but here's what you need to do is don't do anything. Don't plan how you're going to handle that. Don't plan what you're going to say. 
This thing will be one of the biggest things that will happen to some of you in an earthly sense. But don't think about it now. And don't try to make any plan. And don't try to work out what you're going to say. Because, he said, here's what will happen. God is going to give you what you need. Verse number 19. It shall be given you. God's going to tell you what to say. And when is he going to tell you? Not now, but in the same hour. When you're there. God's going to tell you. So don't worry. Don't plan. Don't think about it. It's okay. When you get there, God will give you what you need. It'll be okay. One more thing he said. I need to remind you of this. Verse number 20. See, it's not you that's doing the speaking. But it's the Spirit of God is what he's saying. Now, it's true for us this morning that when we do the speaking and we do the work of God, it's not supposed to be us. It's supposed to be the Spirit of God. And in fact, if it's not the Spirit of God, then nothing of a lasting nature will be accomplished. Let me tell you something. Here in America, you have a church culture. Let me just give you an observation as an outsider. You have something that is not in every nation. You have something a little bit unusual here, and that is you have a very strong presence of churches in your culture. And you have a, you have a thread, if not like a, a, a something stronger, woven throughout your culture of Christianity. And it's just here. And I, I'm not saying it's all of Jesus. I'm not saying it's all good. And I know there's apostasy and there's places that say they're churches and they're really not. But I'm just saying culturally speaking, you have a church culture here. And that, that means this. There are a whole lot of people who can do a whole lot of things in churches that looks very impressive because you have a church culture and they've learned what you do. They've learned how do you get people into a church? How do you raise money for something? How do you build beautiful buildings? How do you structure leadership in a church if if you work in that environment? There are a whole lot of people here who have the ability to build magnificent churches appearance-wise and a whole lot of it has nothing to do with the Spirit of God. Nothing. God's not anywhere near it. Now, you agree with that when you think about the apostates, but how much is done even from us in our movement that is impressive, that is the envy of many, but it wasn't the Spirit of God that did it. It was just clever, gifted people who had a, had a marvelous ability to be able to work with people and these people are successful leaders. And you have you have successful leaders in your country in every area. You have successful leaders here who are not saved. And you have you can have something happening that is being headed by a successful leader, but it may have nothing or very little to do with the Spirit of God. In fact, if you move that person from the mega church to the CEO of Coca-Cola, they do a good job there as well. Because they're just gifted people. 
Or if you move them from there to another conglomerate, they do a good job there because they're just gifted people. They just they just know how to work people and get a result and generate a crowd and, and they know how to get the best out of people. And you can have all of that happening and it can have nothing to do with God. The Spirit of God isn't anywhere in it. I think we're going to be amazed when we get to uh, the judgment of our works, just how many things that God really had nothing to do with, that God wasn't in. And we might be amazed at how many things we envied and thought, oh, I wish I could have that. And God said, oh, that was nothing to do with me. I wasn't in that. Now, the deceit of that is that you can look at some of these things and you can want that and you can just say, now, can you, can you just tell me the formula? What do I need to do? Can you teach me to be like you? Because I see what you've done and I, I want that too. Nobody goes into the ministry to fail. And while we try to remind ourselves that numbers are not indicative of the work of God necessarily, the fact is we all want numbers. We don't take a small church to want to keep it a small church. So when we see somebody has something bigger, no matter who they are, or we suddenly hear that they raise this certain amount of money in an incredible way, say, tell us what to do. Just, just give us the plan. Tell me, teach me, so I can do what you do, so I can have what you have. And it can have nothing to do with God. And you may do it, and you may emulate the results, and you may get the same thing. And you may get the accolades of men. And you may get people who are impressed with what you did. But then you might find out one day that God had nothing to do with that. Now, all I'm saying is that we need to start to think about our ministries, whatever we do, whether we're pastoring or working in a military ministry, we're on a mission field. We need to think about our ministries more in terms of being a supernatural thing. We need to stop thinking or even wanting to think like Steve Forbes or somebody else or the CEO of this company or, or this. We, we need to purge our mind of that and say, we are not them. Our calling is not remotely related to their calling. We live in a different world. But we have a whole lot of people who don't think that way. They want to learn from those folks what they can do in their church. And America's inundated with it. You go to a bookstore and there's just books and books and books on leadership and, and, and written, you know, 90% of it by people who know nothing about God. And I'm not saying there couldn't be some good thoughts there. But what I'm saying is we're enamored by it. We want to be like them. We've forgotten that the business of the ministry in whatever area of ministry is not remotely related to the business of the world. We deal with the unseen. We deal with the spiritual. We deal with the supernatural. We can't do things the way a business does. That's not us. You see, we're wholly reliant on the Holy Spirit. And what we have to do, we, we, we have to follow the plan of God, even when we don't even understand it. Because the work we do is God's work. 
It's, it's, it's God's work, and we're the laborers, and we're to work with God for God's work. Now, sometimes I think we think this. I think we think that God came, and Jesus died for our sins, and now he's back in heaven, and we have the record of the early churches and the work they did, and now God has just left all that with us. And now our job is just to think back on that and work out a plan about what I can do in my time and how I might approach this thing and, uh, and try to do a good job of it like the, the people I read about in the book of Acts. And sometimes I think we think that way instead of understanding that we have a living God who's in the midst of us now, who has given us the Holy Spirit to direct and lead and plan his work in even in this generation. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be leading us now. The Holy Spirit is the one who's supposed to be formulating the plans for our ministry now. It isn't something that just happened before and now we do all the planning and we've got to use our abilities and, and go and buy the latest books from the latest CEO who's had some success. No, no, no. What we're supposed to do, if we want to see the results we're supposed to have, the spiritual results, the lasting things, is we have to find out what is the mind of God for me in my ministry situation. You see, if our plan is not God's plan, then there'll be no power. And if anything summarizes us today, it's that statement. There's no power. There's lots of plans. And a whole lot of people have substituted planning for power. And you spend a lot, and again, this is the 2% I worry about. It's the people who never plan anything and just lazy and don't give thought to anything. Preach it, preach it, preach it. But for the sake of the 98%, there's too much substitution going on where we have no power and we think we're going to plan our way to a fruitful ministry. Teach me how to plan. Let's have a planning meeting. Let's get the new planning software. Let me demonstrate what a good corporate leader I am over my staff. You know why you have to do all that? Because you have no power. There's nothing there. All you have is your plan. That's what you've substituted. You preach and people yawn. There's nothing there. Oh, you're saying, oh, no, I planned the last year. I planned my preaching out in advance for the last year. Yeah, I know you did because you bought Brother Chapel's book on this and now you're going to use all his outlines and that's why you planned it out. But your plan is not God's plan. And you have no power. Oh, you have a plan, but there's no power there. Oh, you say, but, but, but we've got an increased crowd. Yes. So is Rick Warren and a whole lot of other people. They've got an increased crowd too. That's not an indication you have the presence of God. That doesn't mean anything. You say, oh, offerings are up. Yeah, so are charitable donations. Apparently the Red Cross offerings are up this year too. That doesn't mean anything. 
You just might be a clever leader. But you have no power. Because your plan isn't God's plan. You need your plan because you have nothing else. You, you, you better plan carefully because you haven't got the Holy Spirit directing what you're doing. Now, I'm not against planning. But I'm saying it's gone a little bit too far. Somehow we've bought this thing. You can plan your way to success. You know, when you hear power in the pulpit now, it's a rarity. You know, we're more after a clever outline. Just start all with the same letter. And the Holy Spirit says, okay, in this passage... I want you to preach to your people about this thing from this passage. And you go, no, 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 that didn't work. Because I was thinking, I was thinking S for sanctification and, and salvation and separate. I had, it's not going to work for me to do that. I've already got the outline worked out. And you know, you walk to the pulpit with your little outline, five little S's. And you're going to preach it. Point number two. Starts with the same letter. And you preach it. And all oh, you're impressed with your little outline. And three or four of your little preacher friends are sitting there. Oh, write that down. They'll keep that outline. And you walk away. Huh, it's a good outline. And there's no power. Nothing happens. And God wasn't impressed. The Spirit of God was trying to direct you this way, but your little plan was taking you this way. And people are yawning. And lives aren't being changed. And you're not having the conversions you should have. And you're not seeing the, the, the evident, powerful hand of the Spirit of God working in your church and your ministry, doing things that you don't have to make up to happen. God does it. Supernatural things, supposed to be the norm of what we do. Spiritual things, that's what we're supposed to see happen. That's supposed to be normal for preachers who believe in a supernatural God, an all-powerful God, and a book that's not just a book but has the literal words of God in it, has a power upon it like nothing else. A message that God said is the power of God under salvation. And you're supposed to have those things that supernatural power. And when you go there, you're supposed to have the anointing and touch and the hand of the Holy Spirit all over you because you listen to God and you lined up with what God wanted. And when you preach, it doesn't matter what little style you use or how you do it, but people can just see, all oh, the hand of God is on the preacher. That's what you're supposed to have. And the reality is 90% of the time, that's just not what's there. There's no power. You don't have it. You have a plan. And your little plan is the thing you lean on. That's the only confidence you can have because you don't have the power of God. If you don't have the power of God, you have nothing. It doesn't matter what your plan is. You know, the truth of it is sometimes God mightn't tell you your plan for your ministry. Who, who ever said, 
Somebody said, well, what's the plan? Who ever said, without embarrassment, I don't know. No, you can't say that. No, no, no. If you don't know God's plan, it's okay. Just make up one of your own. That'll be fine. And God will see you do it. And God will say, oh, you, you, you got it worked out. It's funny. I hadn't even said anything yet. But you seem to know it already. Well, why don't you go ahead and do your little plan? And then after a few years, why don't you walk away and just leave that ministry? Pride yourself on the fact that every outline started with the same letter. Had the same amount of subpoints under every point every time. You say, well, preach, I just do that. It helps people to remember the message. I'll tell you what people remember. People remember what touches them. That's what they remember. People don't walk away remembering your little outline. They remember what touches their heart. That's what you remember. That's what you remember about the preaching that changed your life. That's what you remember when God got hold of you. You remember what touches you. And we've got a problem that there's not much touching many people anymore. And the problem is not with the people. The problem is with the one standing behind the pulpit. Because we got smarter than God. Thought we could just do it without the Holy Spirit. And it's not working. You know, Abraham went out to Abraham, where are you going? The Bible said in Hebrews 11, he didn't know where he was going. Well, preacher, you, 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 you can't lead something if you don't know where you're going. Well, brother, if God hasn't told you yet, you know, why don't you just wait on God? I, I know that's hard. Why don't you get what God has you to preach on a Sunday? Why don't you throw your little book of outlines out? Why don't you entertain the idea that it may have worked for another man of God doesn't mean God wants you to do that in your ministry? Why don't you just get rid of that? Why don't you dare to ask God what he wants you to say to your people this Sunday? What unique thing? Why don't you do that? I'll tell you why I don't do it. Because it's hard to wait on God like that. And it starts to rack your nerves a little bit when you start getting close to the meeting and you haven't got it worked out. So you know what you do? You fall back on you. Better get that book of outlines out. There's no power. Because the Holy Spirit's not working. Because there is no endorsement of the Spirit of God on our plans. The only thing God blesses, listen to me carefully, the only thing God blesses is himself. And when you are like him, you get the blessing. You understand that? When you line up with God, you get the blessing. But so often we just plan and we we think we've got it all worked out. And there's just no power there. You know, I want you to think how God works. I want you to understand, when you look at something in the Bible, for example, you study the doctrine of salvation. Okay, here's what you find. God progressively revealed that over time. You study it in Genesis. Doctrine of salvation. What can we learn? 
in the book of Genesis. Well, in the beginning we can learn that Adam and Eve, they sinned and God slew an animal and he put a coat over it. Mm, it's a bit of a hint of something there. And then we get on a little further and we see that God required an animal sacrifice, the shedding of blood. Mm. We start to understand a little bit more about salvation. Then we see a lamb and we see a little bit more. We see a little bit more and we see Jesus. And then we have a little further illumination of, of what salvation means to us in the epistles. And that's how you study something because that's how God revealed it. It's always progressive. You understand what I'm saying? He didn't give it all at one time. Now, now the canon of scripture is closed. There's nothing, there's nothing new. There's nothing new to, to, to make up about the doctrine of salvation. We have the complete word of God. At least if you have a King James Bible, you do. You have the word of God. But I'm simply saying to you, if you look at how God works, God will show you things along the way. But it's hard to do that. Because nobody wants to wait on God. Why do that when you can have a planning meeting and just map out the whole year? Just, just, just do it your way. Now, I understand you, you could argue, say, well, I just believe the Holy Spirit just leads us in that planning for the whole year, and, and maybe it does. But you just need to be careful you don't just plan the power right out of your church. That the Holy Spirit is unable to lead you because you've just gone your way. You know, the reality is the ministry you have is totally unique because nobody has the people you have to work with. There's not another man here who has what you have. That means that the Holy Spirit of God may have a unique thing he's going to do with your group. You can't just copy somebody else. You can't just say, tell me the plan. You can't do that. You've got to discern. I know this is hard, but this is spiritual. This is, this is supernatural. This is trying to do the ministry the way the ministry is supposed to be. You, you can't be carnal in the ministry. You have to discern what is the mind of God for us, our people at this time. What is God saying to us? What does God want us to do? Why has God brought us into being? Who is God going to bring to us? And you have to, you have to get the mind of God and you have to let the Holy Spirit lead the ministry that you're leading. And you'll have the power of God in what you do. But you will not have the power of God in what you do if you try to do a supernatural, spiritual thing, which is the ministry, by the same way that the people who don't know God do things. The church is not a business. We are not a company. It doesn't work the same way. But a whole lot of our churches are run just the same way. And we're impressed by that. This generation loves that. This generation thinks that's just the bee's knees. Do it like that. And this generation has no power. There's nothing there.
If I couldn't get the power of God on what I'm doing, I, I'm, I'm being honest, I'd rather die. I'd rather leave the ministry. I'd rather go and work for Coke. I am not in the ministry to try to do it by the power of the flesh. If God doesn't do it, I don't even want to see it happen. I don't care. You know, a little while ago, I was sharing with Brother Fisher, God laid something on our heart, something big for Thailand. And another time, maybe I'll get a chance to share with you, but it was a big thing. And I said, Lord, you know, this is, this, this, I can, this, and I believe it was just clear this is what God was leading. And I'm saying, Lord, this is going to take, I'm thinking, I'm thinking at least $500,000. I can see what this will do for Thailand. And Lord, I believe this is you and this just makes sense in all the right way. But I'm saying, Lord, this is, this is going to be at least 500000 which is not a high price to pay to change a country, by the way. That's not a lot. I'm thinking about that. But I said this. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, all the years I passed it, I never went with my little hat asking people to give money to help the work of Jesus. Lord, you always raised up the people who paid for the work. You did it. And Lord, I don't know what to do, to, to, to how, to, how this is going to happen. But I said, Lord, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I will not go around and, and kowtow to the rich in our churches and, and go and try to set up meal times with them and sell the program. Or maybe make an emotional DVD where people cry a lot. I am not going to do that. I will not do this work by means of the flesh, the way that maybe a corporate CEO would do it. I said, Lord, if you don't do it, I don't care if it doesn't happen. I'll die and let it not happen. But I will not do it that way. Now, I've seen a whole lot of guys in ministry do do it that way. It's the truth. The wealthy are the celebrities in the church. Oh, no, we don't think of it that way. Yeah, but you act that way. I've seen it. I've seen it when they come to the mission field. I saw it about a month ago. Fellow comes and missionary bows down to him. Would you like to preach? Now, he, he, he wasn't a real good preacher. He's probably not even called to preach. Would you like to preach? Would you like to lead the singing? Would you like to do this? You can do what you want. Because you're the guy who writes the check. Now, that makes me sick. But that's become really normal. And then when the guy gets the check and builds the buildings, we go, ooh, wow, well, I wish I had that. No, I don't wish I had that if I have to do it that way. I don't want that. I don't want that. Hey, if we have to lose all our buildings to get the power of God back, then let God take them all. That's what it takes. If you have to lose three quarters of your people to get you to fall on your face and beg God for his power, then I pray God will do it. Just take them away. Because you have nothing if you don't have God. It's the brass shields. It's what you have. You've got your little plan. You've got your little planning meeting. You're all on the same software now. All got the same little phone plan. How clever. Got your own server. You might even Twitter. 
Isn't that wonderful? Mr. Innovation. Oh, I bet heaven was glad the day you came along. Yeah, Mr. Innovation and you ain't got that much power. You got nothing. Oh, you, you, you might get a larger crowd, but it won't be God's doing. It'll be yours. And if, if you can live with the accolades of men, if that's all you want, you can get that. But believe me, that's all you've got. You've got nothing. I'm not saying it's wrong to plan. I'm saying don't plan the power out. Let's just, let's just stop being enamored by clever leaders who do just as good a job at IBM as they do in the church. It's not God, it's them. Look, you've got a country of people like that. Leadership talent is oozing out of this place everywhere. It doesn't mean it's God's leaders. Let's stop being enamored by that. And once you try and find out what God wants you to do in your place with your people. Oh, that'll be hard. Why don't you preach what God would have you to preach? Oh, I I planned out uh, six messages on this. Why have you done that? Well, I was thinking I would make a six-CD set and uh, enclose the outline that starts all with the letter Q uh, in the pack. That's corporate nonsense. That's just a different kind of pride. And you want God to bless that. Because he sees your wicked little heart, that that's all that's about. It's about you, you, you. And it's nothing to do with him. You know what we need to do? We need to beg God for some old-fashioned power. You, you, you need to get the power of God in your life. You ought to be embarrassed to go to the pulpit again without the power of God. I want to go ahead and stand and let's have some music play. Why don't we have a prayer time? Why don't you just come and beg God for his power? You know, and maybe some people just need to say sorry to God for something. You know, if God has spoken to your heart this morning and just said, you know what, this is you. You are doing this. You just might need to say, sorry, God, I want you to come back. I can't do this on my own. I need you. I need your power. Maybe God's going to hear something fresh from your prayer this morning. Why don't you just stop pretending you're someone and just tell God the truth. You're nothing. You don't have him. You don't have his power. You just have nothing.